what kind of wasp situation you're talking about. <laughs> See, what had happened was some wasps came and we left. <laughs> Just a little quickly. But y'all did learn about Tetherball? I love you, huh? That's a whole other story. So good morning. Good morning. And I'm going to do the weird glasses thing because I can't see, but right here. So I gotta look at this. Okay, so God does, this is the title of my little situation here. God does big with small. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's proven throughout the Bible. I mean, throughout the thing. God does big with small. Let me get my little opening thing right here. I have a little opening prayer. I have to write everything down because sometimes when I get up here, my mind goes, whoop. So if y'all just pray with me right quick. Dear Lord, we thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. We thank you for walking with us every moment of every day of every second, Father. We thank you that your promises are true and your goodness never, ever fails us, Father. We invite your beautiful Holy Spirit to move among us here, Father. And we ask that you open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. We thank you for this time of worship. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you. In researching this topic about um, don't despise small beginnings, I mean, I was reading in the Old Testament. That was what I was studying at the moment. And there are so many instances of what God can do with small. But when you look on the news, because I don't watch the news in the morning anymore because it just... But when you watch the news or you watch things in the world, the world's definition of small or unimportant or insignificant is very different from what God's teaching us in here. It's, it's very, very different. And we all know that. There's a big difference of what the world says to do or, or, or think that's important and what God says, what is important and what is good and what we should be like. So I'm just going to go through some scriptures on there um, that kind of prove that point a little bit. The world says that there are strength in numbers. That bigger is better, especially in Texas. <laughs> that the rich and famous are more important than the poor and insignificant. That the few are unimportant. It don't matter what the few think. It's what the majority thinks, right? So Ashley's going to put up the definition of what small means in the fleshly world. It sure did. I wasn't looking, so there it is. So small in the flesh world means young, insignificant, unimportant, limited in degree, lacking strength, and minor influence. That's what the fleshy world tells us that the word small means. The word small. But we're going to look at this definition through the scripture eyes. Uh, we're we're going to see what God says about the young, the insignificant, the not important, and the minor. Because if I have been reading this Bible correctly, I don't think that is the definition that God has for those things. Okay? Yeah. Alright? But we're going to let the scriptures do the talking here. So first we're going to go to 1 Samuel 16, 13 through 16. Now she's going to put up in just a second. This is where um, Samuel is mourning about what's going to happen to Saul because Saul's lost his mind. So they're going to uh, God tells Saul to go to Bethlehem and find a man named Jesse for one of his sons to be the new king. So Samuel goes and he takes a cow to sacrifice because he has to have a reason for going or else he's going to get in trouble by Saul. So he goes up there with his cow. And I'm just going to paraphrase right here. And he goes and finds Jesse. And he says, hey, go ahead and get your boys and 
come do this with me. Come do the sacrifice with me. So Jesse goes and gets his sons. And when he gets back, Samuel sees Eli, which is the first son. And he thinks that this has got to be the dude that the Lord was talking about because he's all big and he's swole and you know he's muscular. But God says, no, no, Samuel, that's not him. Don't judge him by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Just because he's big doesn't mean that's, who, that's the one that's going to be king. Okay? The Lord, the Lord doesn't make decisions the way that you do, the way that we do. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at a person's thoughts and intentions, his heart. All right, hallelujah for that. So two more come up, two more sons come up, and the Lord says, no to you, no to you. He sends some more sons, no, no, no. None of them. So by then, Samuel's kind of like, um, you got any more sons? What's going on here? Well, then Jesse says, well, they're still the youngest, but he's in the field tending the sheep. He didn't even bother to bring them. He's like, he's the youngest. He don't matter. I'm not even So Samuel says, okay, but we're not going to eat until he gets here. So why don't you go ahead and go get him? All right. So Jesse sends for him. And go ahead and put the picture up there, Ashley. And when he comes, he is handsome with pleasant eyes. And as soon as uh, you see this picture, this is how I always uh, picture little David before he gets uh, anointed by Samuel. See this one right here. This is this is this is little David. This is little David before uh, he, he's anointed by by Samuel to be king. I always picture him as a little scrawny thing, but he's handsome with pleasant eyes, right? All right. Then the spirit of the Lord was on him from that day. As soon as he comes, the Lord says, "That's him. Yeah, that's him. He's the youngest, and he, and he might be the smallest, but that's him. Go ahead and pour that oil on him, and we're going to get this thing done." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That doesn't seem like that would be what, because the world likes this guy. The world don't think this guy's important right here. Even in the movie, he didn't think he was important. He was rejected. He was rejected and rejected until he got like this. But that's not how God looks at it. Alright? And even Saul in the beginning, he was anointed by God. Where was Saul from? Y'all know where Saul was from? He was from the tribe of Benjamin. And I believe that's the next scripture I have up there. When Samuel went to uh, went um, to Saul and tried to tell him that he would be king, this is what he replied. But I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest of tribes in Israel. And my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking to me like this? He's basically saying, don't you know where I'm from? I'm the least important of all this. Uh, I'm the smallest of all the tribes and the least important of all of them. Why are you talking to me? I don't think that God thought that. Apparently not. Come on. And we're going to fast forward to Matthew. I got a lot of scriptures to prove this, I think. Fast forward to Matthew 14, 16. Y'all know this story where Jesus fed the 5,000. Yeah, come on. And that's just the men. Just the men were 5,000. Now you remember, they have four, five, six, seven wives. And they had four, five, six, seven children with each wife, right? So that's at least 10, 15,000. Because if it was just 5,000 men, I, mean, I don't know how they traveled. I would think that they took all the wives. Maybe one was more important than the other. I don't know. But I'm just saying. That is a lot of people. Yeah. Not just 5,000. Yeah. Um, how, how much fish did they have? The two? Two loaves of fish and five loaves, uh, two, two fish and five loaves of bread? That could maybe feed one person. But uh, it didn't feed one person. It fed 5,000. Right? 
He takes our, our small or our little and makes it big. The same kind of situation happened in Second uh, Kings 4.43 with Elijah. Uh, they wanted to feed the, the prophets, and uh, he got one sack of grain and 20 loaves of bread to feed 100 prophets. And, and, and Elijah's servant was like, what? This is all you got? He's freaking out. And Elijah's like, man, God said this yeah. will be enough. God said this will be enough, and we will have more left over. So he doesn't just supply what we need. He gives us more than we want or more than we asked for. How many times did that happen to y'all? You know? How many times have you asked for something God gave you more? It's like, what? That happens. It's like when you find, you know you're searching for a lost $20 and you find 100 Woo! That, that, I mean, you know, man, like, thank you, Jesus. All right. And uh, another example right here. We have uh, Micah 5, 2. It says, But you, Bethlehem, are only a small village in Judea. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. Y'all, where was, was um, Jesus born? Bethlehem. In the Bible, it says Bethlehem is a, a poor, insignificant, small town. <coughs> Y'all, what's Cleveland? An insignificant, small town. A little bit of people, right? Over and over, we see God using few men to win battles. It's all over the Old Testament. I've been all over that. The, the 300 that Pastor Cheryl had talked about before with Gideon, the fact there were only 12 disciples. 12 disciples, that's it, just 12. Our great commission is, is to preach the gospel, to preach the word. And God started with 12 men. That's it. He could have had an army. He started with 12. That's all we needed. He probably only needed one, but he had 12 to start with. King David had 30 mighty men. And in those 30 mighty men, he had three that were like the super dudes. All right? But um, one of them killed a uh, killed 800 men with one spear during a, a one battle. Just a spear. And God didn't need to have, like, um, weapons of mass destruction, uh, you know, uh, Machine guns. He didn't. He didn't have all that stuff. All he needed was. Uh, let's see, Samson had a jawbone of a donkey, and Shamgar had the Ashley. And I had to look this up, and I'm like, "What is that? I don't even know." This this ox goat thing. And, and Ashley got a picture. I'm like, "What is that?" He killed 600 Philistines with that one time. Just with that. Can you imagine? God doesn't need big. Mm-mm. God don't need big. He just needs your faith. The truth of the matter is, people's being bigger or smaller, more or less in number, richer or poorer, great or small, stronger or weak, that's not the issue. The greater issue is realizing our faith is our weapon. Our faith is our weapon, right? We don't have to have big. We don't have to have big. We didn't have a big amount of people when we won that trophy right there. We had faith. Now, some people were like, whose idea was this? <laughs> but we pushed through, we pushed through with a little bit of people, a little bit of people. And we had the faith. We had the faith that we could do it. We had faith in God. They had faith. Yeah. All right? Pastor Cheryl's outreach started in her garage, she told us last week, right? Now they got a resale shop, a villa retreat, a daycare, a food pantry, and they're opening up another building. 
All because, and it all started in her little bitty garage with her faith. With her faith. Because of our pastor's obedience and willingness to step out in faith, we are going to have the resources to fund ministries, to help those in need, to give to outreach programs for our community, to help fund missionaries all over the world because of his faith, because of him being obedient to God's word. All because he believed in a small seed God planted in him about making pizzas. A vision I know that God gave him. And it has to be God. It could be nothing but God because the man could not cook barbecue like this last year. (laughs) From his own mouth, he tells you he could not do it. But now it's the best barbecue ever. God anointed him with the barbecue spirit, whatever. The barbecue spirit. He did. Because I will throw down with you for that barbecue. (laughs) I mean, it is good stuff. But we're lining up with God's will. This is God's will. To fund the ministry, to do the things that we want to do. We're lining up with God's will. And that's what we have to do. He's got that faith. This thing right here is going to be all those things I just said because of one man's obedience. There's one more scripture I'm going to go to. It's in 1 Corinthians 1, 25 to 29. I'm going to read this uh, Kind of like a paraphrase before it, and then we'll go to it. It said, this is when Paul, is one of his letters, he's speaking to the Christians at Corinth. And at this time, it was divided. There was some um, fighting going on in there about who was going to follow who, and I'm going to follow Paul, I'm going to follow Peter, and all that kind of stuff. And Paul was trying to get them to be one, to help them understand that we all have gifts, and no gift is greater than the other. And as a church, they have to have unity and commitment to love one another. That's God's greatest gift to us, is the ability to love one another. But we have to we have to do it. Yeah. And then he talks about the wisdom of God and how in his wisdom God saw to it that the world would never find him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preachers to save all those that believe. And I say that because those silly foolish pre- preachers, the small import, unimportant, insignificant preachers, that's what they thought of them because God's way seemed foolish to, to the ones that didn't believe. The Jews wanted a huge sign from the Lord. They wanted, they wanted like, you know, clouds coming down and riding horses or something. I don't know. And, uh, and the, the Greeks at that time, they, they only believed with what they agreed on. And if they didn't agree, then it was like that, that just can't work. It just can't work. So when we read this scripture, I'm going to read it right here. I think she's, are you going to get it up, Ash? There it is. I'm trusting you. See how I trusted that? Because I put it behind me. This foolish plan of God is far wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is far stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think that they are wise. And he chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing or small at all, and used them to bring to nothing that the world considers important, so that no one could ever boast in the presence of God. So what does that tell us? That God has a plan, and in His wisdom, the plan for salvation, His plan for our salvation, was accomplished by a crucified Christ, hidden from the wise, from the important, from the ones that thought they knew all of it. And revealed to the simple believers. Yeah, yeah. Right? 
Jesus was the world's definition of small to the important, to the wise, to the ones that thought they knew everything. Jesus was their definition of the word small. So I say, thank God for small beginnings. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I think that uh, we have proved that Jesus is not small. That small is not unimportant or insignificant. I think that the Bible proves that. You ain't got to go no further than that. That's it right there. I just want to pray this little prayer right here. Jesus' prayer of Thanksgiving. It's, uh, do we have it up there? Oh, no. No. Yeah. It says, Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding the truth from those who think themselves so wise and clever and for revealing it to the childlike. Yes, Father, it has pleased you to do it this way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for doing this. Thank you, God. Amen. Wow. I'm so blessed, man. I'm serious. I'm, I think I'm more excited than they are, man. Man, we got some people here that can preach and teach the Bible. Is that right? Yeah, I'm I'm more excited. I'm more excited about it than they are. I have been, last three weeks, I've been blessed, man. I've been blessed, solid stuff. Y'all deserve another hand. I'm going to give them another hand. I like that. I like that. This don't make sense. I don't think... The disciples sat around and while one dude said everything. I think that God, because God anointed them all, then somebody had something to say it and they got a chance to say it. Amen. Right? So, that, man, I, I love that. This is awesome. I've been, I'm, this is incredible. You don't know how, who's going to do what. Everybody's got a different style. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the, the, the researching calm. You got Pastor May does the research and but she can go off like a firecracker. <laughs> Pastor Ben's going to bring his points. And, and just take you on the journey. Uh, Pastor Eli, you just don't know what's going to happen with him, <laughs> but it's going to be solid, right? You don't know what's going to happen with him. And uh, the drivers got their way. Pastor Cheryl is going to bring it with her points. Pastor Driver is going to take you around and hit you upside the head and sit you back down. <laughs> and then I have a little bit of wild and crazy and, you know, whatever. So I, I'm going to be the second speaker this morning. It won't be too long. Uh, I want to talk about uh, something, again, I want to talk about beginnings. And if you've been keeping up with the midweek service, that's kind of where I've been stuck at, in beginnings. And so I, I talked about uh, this past week three, three things that you, you need uh, in the beginning of a project with God, and that's faith, fight, and funding, right? You need to have faith, you got to have fight, and you got to have some money, amen? If you look at what Jesus, at what the Lord did, uh, in the people's journeys, uh, when he took the children of Israel out of Egypt, uh, it, it, he had to deal with Moses' faith, right? So he came to Moses and he told Moses what he was going to do. How did, he, how did God deal with Moses' faith? He told him what he was going to do. And he showed him what he had, all right? So he spoke words to Moses to engage his faith. He said, I can't take the brother no further if he won't believe. 
And so then uh, Moses had to be willing to go into Pharaoh's community and fight. What was Moses' fight? He had to, go willing to go, be willing to go back and forth with Pharaoh to get the people turned loose. Right? So you have to have faith. You got to have some fight and you got to have some money. Amen? So when they got ready to go, the Lord said, he said, I want you to go and borrow from the Egyptians. God had a plan, a supernatural debt cancellation already on his mind. He said, I want you to go borrow all their stuff because they're not going to need it no more for them to put them permanently out of business. Right? And so he said, go get that stuff. And the children of Israel going around, you know, and, and, and if there was any mink coats to be had, you know, per, per coat don't even fit. And they walking around and you're looking like somebody at a, at, at a BET award show with, with gold all on their neck and all kind of stuff. People walk around that with hats tipped to the side. and You know, they can't even carry the stuff. Can they look at here? Help me get that. Get that. Bring them, bring them gold pots out of there. Let's go. You know, get all that stuff. Get the chair. Don't leave nothing. Package the chair. You know, and so he, he had to get them funded for where they was going. Amen. And so uh, God always did that. He did the same thing with Joshua. When Joshua went to go take the promised land, he told Joshua, what the first thing he do? He put words into Joshua. He said, be strong and of good courage. He said, I called you to do it. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. We're fixing to take this thing over. Right. So Joshua had to be willing to fight. Right. So he told him, he said, I'm going to send you to this place and I'm going to send you to that place. And you guys got to be willing to fight. He said, and when you leave these places, you're going to take their money with you. You have to have faith, you have to be willing to fight, and you got to have some money. Amen? And so, uh, 20 years of serving God, this is something that I've come to know, right? I've tried to serve God without no money. It's extremely difficult. Uh, only thing it does is bring you heartache. Because, you, you know, it's not that you, it's not about what you don't have. It's if your heart's really connected to God, and you want to do something for God, and you don't have the money to do it, that hurts. Right. Because you're like, God, I want to present this gift to you. I want to I want to do this for you. I know you call me to do it. I, I don't have the money. And then you have the mystery of, you know, God, I know you call me to do it. But why? You know, why? Why don't I have my hands on the bread? Why don't I have the money? So I, I, I think that over a process, God develops you and he teaches you. Uh, Lori Gibson just did a masterful job talking about, you know, small, not being insignificant. I think about right now there. Do you know that there are some men and women of God? That, uh, that are, have global ministries, uh, all over the world, and you know that our congregation is bigger than theirs? Did you know that? Because some of them don't have congregations. But they touch the world. With their, with their team of people that they minister to. And I want you to understand something. You can have a ton of people, uh, 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 working on a job, or, or working on something, and, and really, it could be counterproductive. And we're going to look at some of that from the scripture, right? It can be counterproductive because if some of the people are not doing their part, they weighing you down, right? And so, again, the goal is not to, you know, some preachers will say, well, you know, hey, we're having a Gideon's revival. You don't never want to, the church to not grow or, or digress or go backwards, but you, you want to have the people that are going to work, that are going to serve. That's why we have membership requirements in our, in our bylaws. And members are supposed to do certain things. You're going to be in church. If you're not in church for a certain amount of time, you know, you, you miss X amount of months, then, hey, look, you, you become inactive, right? One of the, one of the requirements of, of membership is to be a tither, right? To bring your 10%, right? So, so if we understand everybody to be, want everybody to be on the same page, right? Because if not, now think about that. You got everybody on the same page, everybody the same mind. People, we got good church attendance. We got people giving. Man, what could we do for God? But when people don't have that perspective, 
right? When they don't have their perspective, and it don't matter if it's in church or whatever. I always use my family reunion example, right? If you're having a family reunion and we need the people to come and we need the people to uh, contribute their $50 for their T-shirt and their fr- fried fish plate, right? And so the people get very upset. Why? Why do they get upset? Because they know without the funding, they can't make the event what it's supposed to be. Right. Amen? So we're going to look at something here today. And we're going this is, we're gonna look at something in, in the, the, the way of your life, not just in the way of uh, the church, but in the way of your life too. So we're going to look at two other things that are necessary uh, to, uh, when you're on a, a journey. Uh, and you're beginning having a small beginning, uh, two things that are extremely necessary, and that's unity and my second thing, endurance, unity and endurance. Right. You need to have unity and you got to have endurance. In the beginning of a thing. Yeah. All right. So it doesn't matter again if you're talking about family, if you're talking about business. If you're talking about government, or you're talking about the mob, you have to have unity. <laughs> you have to have unity, right? Whether you're talking about family, whether you're talking about business, you're talking about government, or you're talking about the mob. Speaking of mob, let's look at the, a mob characteristic that the Lord, that God had, right? God made a mob move with Zacharias, right? So what he did with Zacharias is he put a temporary hit on his mouth. When the, when the mob feels like somebody's going to talk and relinquish some of the mob secrets, they said, we're going we're gonna to send Jimmy sleeping with the fish. Where's Jimmy? He's sleeping with the fishes. That means they dumped him at the bottom of the lake so he can't talk and say things that don't need to be uncovered. So the Lord made a mob move when he came to Zacharias and he put a hit on his mouth. He was trying to give birth to the guy that was going to speak forth the words to bring forth the savior of the world. And he said, this guy's mouth, God understands the power of your confession. He understands the power of what you say. And he said, we don't need this guy to shut it up. So we're going to put a hit on his mouth, a temporary hit. And so after for a while, he's not going to be able to say anything until we get the job done. And then we'll let him talk again. Right. Uh, this was that's you can find those scriptures in Luke chapter one, verse 20 through 22. What else did God do? He understood the, the principle of unity, and unity is connect, connected to speech. And so he put a holy hush on Jericho. When they went to go take Jericho, he told them. Let's read it. This is uh, Joshua chapter 6, verse 10, 18 through 20, talking about preserving unity. Right? One of the ways that unity is communicated through speech is through speech. Right? And so when God understands the importance of trying to unify, trying to get something started, he said, I need to have the people's speech, uh, uh, you know, in the right place. I don't need some people saying one thing, some people saying another thing. So this is how he handled it at Jericho, uh, Joshua 6, uh, 10 and 18 through 20. He says, and Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice. Neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth. So not only did he say, I don't want you talking to one another. He said, I don't want no noise coming out your mouth, period. Why? Because he understood that if they, people, the way people are, if you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. Right. If I allow you to mumble and say stuff, somebody will start, you know, somebody start humming. And next thing you know, somebody starts singing. <laughs> right. So after somebody starts singing, you know, then then they just start talking. And once people start talking, what what do you think inevitably was going to come out of their mouth? This is stupid. <laughs> right. So he said, we, I don't need nobody to be talking about how stupid this mission is. So I just want nobody. Don't say nothing. Don't hum. 
don't 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 sing. Uh, uh, don't don't you know? Look, keep the sneezing to a minimum, <laughs> right? Because he's trying to preserve unity because the task was very important. He says, you shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day that I bid you shout. And then uh, ye shall shout. And ye and all, uh, ye and any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing. Right? So, no, so he told him, be quiet. And then he said, don't take the stuff. We're going to come back to that again. Take of the, the of, uh, lest ye make yourselves accursed. Don't take of the accursed thing unless ye make yourselves accursed. So he told him in the first battle, he said, listen. He said, this first battle... He said, there's going to be gold, there's going to be jewelry, there's going to be treasures, and I know y'all need funding, but he said, this first battle, don't mess with it, because that first battle represented the tithe, the first fruits. He said, keep your hands off of it, because I need to bless you. Did you hear what I just said? I already took up the offering. I'm not going to take up another one. All right? He said, keep your hands off the first, because I need to bless you. I need to empower you. This is a principle that flows throughout the Bible. Tithe represents the first fruit. If the, the, he caught, not, not only did he call, he, why, did he, why did the Lord say, uh, if, if it's something that was going to go to the Lord, that was going to be dedicated to the Lord, why did the Lord use the word accursed? Because anything that you touch that belongs to God brings about bad situations. That's what a curse is, a, a, a spiraling or a snowball effect of bad outcomes. He says, so don't take of the accursed thing. Don't touch that. That's mine. Yep. Right? So this first battle, that, that first, those first boys said, I'm going to get you if you're funding, but I need to bless you and I can't go against what I say. I can't break my own principles. Yeah, yeah. And some people think that just because we're nice people and we're good Christians that God can go against what he said. He can't. Right. He can't go against what he said. And when he tells us to bring the tithe into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, you can't just say, open up the windows, please. <laughs> Now he said, uh, you got to do the first part, and then I open up the windows. Because it's not fair if everybody else do their part, and you don't do your part, and you want me to open up the windows. <laughs> right? So he tells him that part, right? Of, of the accursed thing. When you hear, when you, uh, where He says, but all the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and the iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come to the treasury of the Lord. Right? Where's the treasure of the Lord these days? The treasure of the Lord's in the church now. And in, in, in the ministry, it's taking care of God's business. He said, that we, we need, well, again, we need funding. Got to have money. We got to have things to move forward. So if God didn't need uh, money, they wouldn't be worried about this stuff. They'd just be throwing it all around. Right, we, don't, don't, we don't need no budget coming out of Egypt. We don't need no, we don't need this spoils coming out of here. No, it takes, it takes money to, to, to make moves for God. I told you, Jesus had a, uh, uh, a person an accountant to take care of the bag. You need a bag. If Jesus needed money, you need money. Yep. Amen. He says, so the people, uh, so the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him and they took the city. So he said, listen, I don't want y'all to talk until we all talk and say the same thing at the same time. And when they all talked and said the same thing at the same time, they had a miraculous result. Mm. Unity is crucial in beginning a move of God. Now, let's look at some Gideon. Gideon's group had to be purged. And was better off uh, for the supernatural move without all of those people. God said, I'm trying to get this, get something accomplished. He said, and right now, he said, you guys are going to be better off 
in this supernatural move without those people. Ashley, you got that picture that Pastor Lori sent you? Okay. Now let, let's look at an example of a tug of war here. All right, they they pull in, pull in a tug of war. Now what, what you don't know on the other side of this picture for make make believe reasons is this. Is that you got, let's say you got uh, one or two people, let's say you got two people on the other side of this situation right here. These dudes pulling hard, ain't they? So you wouldn't think that two people would cause all of this resistance with all of these guys. Would you? Mr. Arlene, that makes sense? You wouldn't think two people would be able to make them boys pull that hard, would you? But what if I told you that, how many guys in this picture? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's nine guys in this picture. What if I told you that only one guy in the picture was really pulling and the rest of them was acting? Huh? The rest of them just look like they pulling. But it was only one guy that was pulling. You ever heard the term somebody talking about, you got to pull your weight? And then a lot of times in environments when you're trying to start something, you're going to have people around you that are not pulling, they just acting. Right? So it looks like we got a whole bunch of people rolling, but they ain't pulling, they acting. And so so when it it, it looks like, in, in Gideon's case, you know, he got how many people? 30,000 people with him? He got 1,000,000 of people in the beginning. And the Lord says, look here, I know some of them. They just acted. You don't think the Lord handled you like that. Let me tell you something. The Lord's a businessman. He's a businessman. And you know what God's business is? God's business is the church. It's a building with pews in it. No, that's not his business. But some people think that's what his business is. This is, listen, this is where he offices his business out of. This is where he takes care of his business out of. But God's business is people. And he's a shrewd businessman where his bottom line is concerned. How can you say that, pastor? He had sacrificed his son for his business. He sent his son to die for his business. He said that he gave one son that he might gain many. Hallelujah. He's a shrewd businessman. And so, listen, let me tell you something. I want, you to, I want to say something to you. If, you. if your Christianity up to this point has been acting, I want you to understand that God don't have no respect for your, you know, the people give you an Oscar, God don't care about how good you can act. If you take the rope, you need to pull your weight. If you have people around you, you're trying to start something, you're trying to start a business, and you feel like, well, hey, I'm trying to get my friends, my friends need to help me with this business, or whatever that is, and your friends don't seem like they're excited about your business, and this is something that you and God were supposed to do, God may know that your friend's just acting. A lot of times people will say that when you try to start a business, it really tests your friendships. Right. And so if, you, if God tell you to do something and people don't people not acting like, you know, they on board. Maybe, listen, maybe it's time to, that them relationships need to be purged. So so God said something about Gideon. God said, listen, he, Gideon, Gideon was thinking like uh, uh, Pastor Lord Gibson was just saying, uh, hey, look, I need all these people. We need them all. God said, no, some of them because they some of them acting. They're not going to pull. 
So he said, listen, because they're not going to pull their weight, you're gonna, the small group is going to have to feed them all. Going to have to hear all their problems. Going to have to hear all their complaining. He said, and this, this fight is so big and so important. He said, right, we need to send some of them home. And so what did he say? He said, ask, ask who's scared. And some of them start raising hands. Because I want to go home. I, wanna, I don't want to go. I'm not going to do it. Now, what I want you to understand is that the Lord had a plan, right? And the Lord knew the whole time. He said, look, I know how many is going to get cut down to, and I know what we're going to do. It's a, it's, it's a, it, it, just don't worry about it. I got this under complete control. Remember what I said? The first thing you got to do to start the, the journey is to have faith. You got to trust God. It don't matter what the people say. Now, I want you to understand something. When you're trying to get something rolling, you have to decide who you're going to listen to, who you're going to follow, whether it's going to be God or it's going to be people. Right? One of the things that happened in the scripture was uh, that Jonah Jonah said, hey, I don't want to go to Nineveh and tell these people you're about to shut them down. He says, because I know you. He said, if they start saying they're sorry and they start repenting, you're going to let them off the hook. And the people are going to say that I am a false prophet. And I am very concerned about what the people say about me. I want you to understand something. When you start dealing with God, somebody say dealing with God. Dealing with God. Hey, man, you can't be worried about what the people are going to say. Sometimes God will send you on a strange assignment. Who was that prophet that he told to put, put on that white girdle? Would somebody help me with that? Which one was that? Had him walk around with that white girdle. Uh, and, he, and the thing, they was all saying, oh, the prophet, he's, he's wearing this white girdle. And, and God is saying that we're as pure. We're, we're pure. And then he never would change. He never would take a bath. And that thing got so filthy, nasty. And then they were insulted. <laughs> Because you realize that, but that's where we get the scripture, your, fight, your righteousness is of filthy rags. Right? And so that's a strange assignment. God puts you on a strange assignment. He tells uh, uh, Gideon, he said, we're fixing to go up against these thousands of people with just your 300 guys. That's a strange assignment. But if you know that you know that you know, and that's very important because you can take off and, and you could be wrong. I want to make sure I add that. You the strange one. It ain't everybody else that's wrong. You the one that's wrong. Right? You have to know that you know that God has told you something. It's going to line up with the scriptures. Some men and women of God are going to jump on board with you. I'm talking about the masses. God God not going to let you go by yourself. If you by yourself in the thing, there's a good chance you might need to make sure you try to rethink and hear God again. But just because you got some folks that don't want to ride with you, that don't mean that you're missing God. Strange assignments. So Gideon, he had to get purged Gideon and get all of those people. This is what I wrote. Gideon had to be purged and was better off for the supernatural move without all of those people. Abraham was going to the sacrifice Isaac and he told the men the way here. He says, me and the lad are going to go to worship and then we will return. There are some things that God's going to call you to do that everybody can't go. They can't go. And so uh, Abraham had to go to the top of the mountain. God had told him, bring your son and sacrifice your son. It was Abraham and Isaac, and then they had the rest of their team, their men, their servants that were with them. They got to a certain point, and Abraham said, listen, he said, y'all can't go the rest of the way. Y'all wait right here. He said, me and my boy going to go worship. He said, and then we're going to come back. Yep. 
Did you see what he said? We're going to worship. He called the sacrifice worship. And then he confessed. His confession was, we both coming back. He had every intention to sacrifice him. Now listen, y'all think it's a game when I teach you about confession. It's all over the Bible. What you say matters. He said, I and the lad are going to go to the, on top of the mountain and worship, and then we will be back. So they go to the top, the top of the mountain. They have to wait there. They can't go. He gets up there, and, and now the sun, they get halfway, and there's further separation. The sun says, Dad, where is, I see the wood, but where is the lamb for the, for the burnt offering? Abraham confession kicked in again. Son, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. So they get up there and he raised up the knife and God says, oh, stop that. Don't do that. Go get the ram out of the bushes. Right. So God is using Abraham to speak about the lamb because he's been he, again, he's speaking about Jesus, the coming of Jesus. So then they come back and it happens just like he, 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 he said. But everybody couldn't go. So he had to go and he had to do this business with God. When Moses went to the top of the mountain. Right. Everybody couldn't go. And they give a good. Uh, a good reason for him not taking him when he get back. He come back off the top of the mountain. They out there partying. The DJ got the music going. and They got the melted gold. And people took off earrings. And Aaron drunk all on. Hey, yeah. You know, all on the top of the mountain. Melting up jewelry and making caps and all kind of stuff. Now you think, what, what do you think that trip to the top of the mountain would have been like if he would have took them crazy jokers with him? I'm up here trying to get in the presence of God. Uh, excuse me, Mo. Do you know where the bathroom is? Man, you interrupted my, my worship to ask me about the bathroom. I'm sorry, man. I really got to go. Somebody come on another show. Excuse me, Mo. Uh, this guy took my rations. You see, you know, I had my sandwich right there. <laughs> After he ate his, he grabbed mine, and he ate it. I have witnesses. What's that trip like to the top of the mountain? Can't take them up there. So, so listen, when God puts you out to do something, don't be moved when he starts separating things. It'll wash. It'll wash. Because after it's all over with, there will be unity. God's purpose shall be established. And, and everybody will know what he called you to do. Yeah. If God has called you to a business, he called you to go back to school, he called you to a relationship. If you know that you know that you know God called you to it, don't be moved by the people around you because they don't jump on, on board with it. Amen? Amen. The second thing you have to have is endurance. You have to have Endurance. Let's look at Hebrews uh, 12, 1 through 4. Can you put that up there for me, actually? Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. You've got to have some endurance. That means, I mean, it's one of the most difficult things in the world is to be alone or to feel lonely. Yeah, right. It's hard to do something by yourself. But I want you to understand something. Jesus was alone. Them 12 disciples, the Bible says that Jesus pulled away and he went to go and pray. And the 12 disciples, they wouldn't, they didn't go. And he kept, as a matter of fact, they went to sleep. And he kept having to tell him, he said, man, what's wrong with y'all? Don't y'all, I've, I've tried to communicate to you the importance of what I'm doing right now. He said, you boys won't stop sleeping. I need you. I really could use some prayer support. But Jesus had to do that. 
And, and, and I want you to understand that he was never really alone because God was with him. Right? Hey, listen, you have to get this point. If, if, you, you will, if you're always fooled by numbers of people or by the size of whatever, how much money you got in the bank, you're never going to be able to do what God asked you to do. What did we do last week? I told y'all we put the, we put the picture of the check up on the board. You know, uh, one, uh, somebody sent somebody outside of the church, gave the biggest gift, gift to our project. You know, $10,000. They don't even go here. They've never been here. They probably don't even know what the building looked like. And so all together we raised, uh, I think about $19,000, almost $20,000. Our goal was, what, twenty twenty five, And we almost hit it. And to be honest with you, like, I mean, yeah, we're not doing it. And to be honest with you, most of that came from my phone calls. Right? So, and, and, and it ain't, I'm not upset with nobody, but I just, I understand the importance of a mission. Because I've been through this so many times. But what could happen if everybody would have said, hey, look, I don't got it, but I'm going to raise some. I had one guy, one guy come sit in my office and brought me a check for $700. He didn't have it, but he went and got it from some other folks. He ain't never been to one service either. Never invited him to come preach. It don't take everybody. It's about your faith. It's about your obedience. And it's about your effort. If you're always looking around for somebody, when God tells you to do something, I need somebody else to jump on with me, you ain't going to do nothing for God. Hmm. Now, most churches ain't going to talk to you like I'm talking to you, but I believe this place is a place for winners. Amen. I'm not talking about in your personal life, I'm talking about in the kingdom. Because that, that, I, didn't, I didn't put that thing on the sign because it's a good slogan, reaching the world from Cleveland, Texas. You know that, that guys like Kenneth Copeland and Jerry Savelle, uh, Charles Caps, they they come out of these towns. That you don't even never never heard the name before if they wouldn't have been there. If Kenneth Cope wouldn't have been there, I wouldn't know the name of the place. Yeah. Jerry Savelle wouldn't live there. Charles Caps never would have thought never would have thought it was even an existing place. Men of God, because men of God live there, that's why people know the place. There's a man of God in Darrow. Anybody ever heard of Darrow, Louisiana? Never. God has a worldwide ministry. Got more people in this church and in this school than they got in the whole town. Darrow, Louisiana. It don't matter whether we're in Cleveland. It don't matter where you at. Come on. Cut and shoot. <laughs> Splendora, Livingston, Dayton, uh, Moss Hill. I don't know some of these little towns. They're just a neighborhood. They should have just made them all one thing. It don't matter where you at. It don't matter what God called you to do. What matters is, and I'm gonna say it again, you better, you're gonna tattoo it on your arm. It's about your faith. Say it with me. It's about my faith. It's about my obedience. And it's about my effort. You sit around and you wait on somebody else to come do something. They ain't coming. And listen, why, what, they gonna criticize you because your movement snatches the blanket off of their excuses. You step out and say, I'm going to do something great for God. And what they're, what, and they're just sitting down and making, look, don't do that. Don't do nothing great for God. Because everybody see, I ain't doing nothing for God. Because they know me and you, we, we good people. You know, we're friends. And you start moving, they're just going to make, why ain't you helping? And so they look at Coach, slow that down. Because they understand you're, 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 what you're about to do is going to require faith, fight, 
funding, unity, and endurance. And they don't want to put forth none of them. I'm good. I'm good. But if you start moving, everybody's going to know I'm not moving. So please be still. You can't, you can't not do what God put in your heart to do. You got to understand that it is possible. So you got it? The scriptures up there? Did I, did I miss them? Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about so great a cloud of witnesses. All right. So we got people watching us. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth easily beset us and let us run the race with patience, the race that is set before us. So some of us didn't even know that there's a race in front of us. Looking unto Jesus. Somebody say looking unto Jesus. Who is the author and the finisher of our faith. He started it. He's going to finish it. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the father. Uh, at, uh, at the right hand of the throne of God. Now let's, let's camp out right here for a second. It says looking unto Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him put forth endurance. Endurance of the cross. We know from reading the scripture that Jesus did not want to go through with the crucifixion. Because he said it out of his own mouth. He said, man, look here. If there's any other way to do this, let's shut this plan down and move on to another one. He didn't want to do it. But the Bible tells you why he did it. Listen, do you think you special because you don't want to do what God asked you to do? You're not special. You're in a group of everybody. When God asked you to do something tough, Moses didn't want to go over there and do it. That's why he started stuttering. Uh, uh, wait a minute now. Um, we, we, we really talking about going over there up against Pharaoh and all, all of his soldiers. Um, look, uh, I don't have nothing here but this stick. <laughs> he didn't want to go. Jonah, Jonah, the Bible says that Jonah caught a boat. You want me to go do what? Where? And he didn't even say no more. It just, it, it just stopped talking about what Jonah said. He didn't say nothing. You didn't find out why he didn't want to go to the fourth chapter. The first chapter, down three or four verses in there, he, he just heard what God said, turned his fa- face and went and found the boat. <laughs> he didn't even tell God, I don't want to do it. He just say, uh, uh, you know, give me an Uber, <laughs> right? Get me over here on the boat. I'm not for this. Listen, you're not special because you don't want to do what God asks you to do because you're scared. Fear don't make you scared. It makes you normal. You do it because God asks you to do it. And I'm telling you, God will cause people to come around you later on. He ain't going to have you do it by yourself. But the people around you right there may not be the ones. What did they say about Jesus? The people that knew him. They didn't believe in Jesus. They said, ain't that Joseph's boy? The words of the Bible says, is this not Joseph, the carpenter's son? Yet he speaks these words. The disciples were even shook up. What matter of man is this? Jesus amazed people with everything that he did. Why did he do that? Did he, was he trying to be special? Jesus, did he fix his clothes and say, so fresh, so clean, going to impress everybody with what I say and what I do. And I'm going to heal people and I'm, they're going to be so impressed with me. No, he went around telling people, 
do not tell anybody that I hooked you up. <laughs> this is what he did. Don't go telling people about what I'm doing. Because he wasn't worried about what the people had to say. He said, this work that I'm doing is so important. I need to, I need to do it. The Bible says that one guy went and told and he couldn't even go back to the place no more. Because his, his celebrity was so big. Oh, he was so gigantic. I mean, you're, you're not special because you're scared. You're not special because you're by yourself. You're not special. Newsflash, if you, didn't, if you don't know, now you know. You're not special. Nobody wants to, if God really asks you to do something, you're going to be shook up a little bit about it. But either you're going to do what God asks you to do, or you're going to find yourself several hundred feet underneath the water, Trapped inside of a whale that has been prepared for you. When you turn God down and tell God you're not going to do it, there's going to be some repercussions. Because you said, when you made the commitment, I will make you Lord, Savior, Master of my life. My life is not yours. You paid a price for it, and I return myself to you. And so we think that when we come, you know, to church... You know, we've we done something. Man, I went to church Sunday. Shoot, I went. Feel good about myself. Hey, man, this church going on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, inside of you and all around you. Yeah. Just because you come over here one time, yeah, you ain't done much. You came to the pep rally. <laughs> we got to play the game. <laughs> now, how crazy is that? You know, anybody remember the pep rallies from school? You go to the pep rally, they shout, yes, fight, fight, go, 10. Right? Fight, fight, go. Team. Give me a G. Give me an E. Give me an N. Give me an R. Get, go, generals. That was our high school. <laughs> go, generals. So they get all the people in the gym in the morning. They all in the stands. And people screaming, yeah, yeah. We're going to get them. Beat those Mustangs. We're going to get them. We're going to get them. Get them. All the people in the gym screaming, yeah. The football players bust through the, the, the paper thing. Ah, the band's beating the drum. Now, how stupid would that be? You do all of that and don't even show up to play the game. Yeah, this thing, look. Uh, yeah, game, yeah, that's the game. Yeah. Ooh, you said the strong thing. That's the prophet. The man said more than anything. I could shut the whole thing down right here. He said that is the game. And, and really, that is in churches, that's the game. That I sell you on a pep rally and make you content with it. Lights are flashing, you know, first attempt. Dun, 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 dun. You jumped around, uh, uh, got all excited. And then after you walk out the door, there's a, a church over, a friend of mine passed the church over in uh, Patton Village, and, uh, and he has a sign for people leaving the building, leaving off the property. And the sign says that you are now entering the mission field. You need something like that. And put, maybe we put it on the back of that wall right there. This is a pep rally. Information. You know, how bad would it be if the police got together and had the morning briefing? Okay, listen, we got, uh, we got a bad guy out there, guys, on the loose. And here's his mugshot, and this is what he's done. And he's public enemy number one. We need to get this guy. He's known to frequent these establishments and all these types of places. And we're going to get him. We're going to get him, guys. Uh, you get a good shot, disseminate the photographs, all that kind of stuff. And everybody leave out of the room and leave the, the pictures of the dude on the chair, right, and go have donuts and coffee. <laughs> Come on, man. 
Come on, man. But this is the, this is the game. Never made sense to me. I never wanted to be a part of that. Never wanted to be a part of that. Never wanted to be a part of, you know, coming to church and that's it. I understand that after I leave out of here, some of my Sunday is like this. I'm coming to church Sunday morning. There's a work element to it. I'm coming to worship, but there's a work, work piece to it. I have to host the people that come. I have a team of people help me host the people that come. We have to disseminate information to the, to the, to the children of God that come. Right. And then after after church, usually I'm eating or whatever. I have a little time to kind of chill out a little bit. But Monday morning, I'm up or something. And probably one of my first phone calls may be to Brother Cooper. <laughs> right, Brother Cooper, we got to, you know, can, can you help me? This is this. It's an understanding. Hey, son, son is up. You know, what if I call Brother Cooper and he just, you know, uh, what, what are you calling me about uh, this, this Monday? I don't want to see you again until Sunday. <laughs> Brother Cooper, we need to do this pr- to prepare. Why do we need to prepare? I came on Sunday. <laughs> and it's, it's bigger than that. Amen. It's bigger than that. And I'm not talking about cross church. I'm talking about the kingdom now. That's right. And he said it better than nobody else could have said it. He said, that's the game. That's the game that's being run by the devil on the church. That we've done our job after we've come for the, the dissemination of information and the pep rally. That's it. That's not it. Yeah, there are people that have been serving God for 25 and 30 years that have never won one person to Jesus. Because this is the game for them. This ain't the game. It's not the game. I could keep going. I've said enough. Right, preaching, note for all of the preachers, at a certain point when you say enough, no matter how much other good stuff you got left to say, you're done. Yes. 